Uh, it's my pleasure this morning to welcome Peter Bush. Uh, Peter's going to be bringing God's word this morning, and uh, Peter happens to be in Southern Ontario for uh, the meetings of the Committee of Former Moderators, uh, which may not mean anything to you, but I was delighted uh, that we were able to get him to preach at Courtright this morning. Uh, Peter is the teaching elder at Westwood Church in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And that may not mean much to you, teaching elder, but you can substitute the word pastor for that. And he's also served congregations in Mitchell, Ontario, and Flin Flon, Manitoba. He is the son of missionary parents and spent eight years at the beginning of his life in the Middle East. It was Lebanon, wasn't it? Uh, Lebanon and Iran. Uh, he also married a missionary kid. His wife, Debbie, uh, was uh, raised in Taiwan, the daughter of missionary parents. And my dad actually married you and Debbie, so that's, I guess, my claim to fame. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Peter has a, a love of church history, which makes me love him all the more, because like we're a small, select group of hipsters, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. uh, so we, we enjoy talking about obscure things. But... Um, I'm pleased to say that after the 11 a.m. service, Peter is going to be giving us a little bit of a talk about where the Presbyterian Church in Canada is at. Now, we come from very diverse backgrounds, and, and for some of us, uh, we don't know much about that, and that's fine. But if you'd like to learn more, you're welcome to join us after the service uh, for a short presentation, about 10 minutes, and then we'll just take questions uh, for Peter. Peter served as moderator of General Assembly in 2017 to 18, and so he has a really good grasp of what's going on in the wider denomination. A moderator uh, presides over four days of meetings in June, which is kind of like Presbyterian Parliament, but for the rest of the year, they they travel and represent the church and... um, Cut cakes and kiss babies, I think, for the most part, right, Peter? So um, we're glad to have Peter here. And Peter, if you want to come up, I'm going to pray for you, having introduced you. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a series in John, and parallel to that series, we have what we call community Bible study going on. So you're welcome, if you haven't been part of Community Bible Study, to join us on Wednesday nights. We study the text that we're going to preach about on Sunday together. We have about 100 people in this room at tables, and it's a really fantastic opportunity to to dig into what you then hear about on Sunday. And it really, in my experience, it really enriches um, my receiving God's wisdom uh, as we engage in that wrestling beforehand. So so you'd be welcome to join us at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that you are the one who builds your church. And that takes the pressure off us in some ways. We thank you that you are sovereign in the universe. And that in Christ, you call us to be together. I thank you that you also call leaders to serve in your church. And I thank you for Peter and the role that he's played as an evangelical in the Presbyterian Church in Canada, and I pray that you would continue to guide him uh, in the meetings he has, he serves on national committees, and also uh, in his work of historical research. And uh, I pray that um, you would use him today to speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you, would you enable us to hear your word for us as he... Uh, preaches from the gospel according to John. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Our scripture reading comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God was not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. You do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Here ends our scripture reading for this morning. I'm honored to be with you this morning. And among other things, I want to thank you for the welcome that you showed my son, Nathan, when he was working here on a co-op, two co-op terms in 2016 and 2017. As Alec mentioned, I was moderator of the denomination of the General Assembly from 2017 to 2018, but something you may not know is that one of the privileges, besides kissing babies and cutting cakes, that the moderator gets is an international trip. And my wife and I went to Taiwan. And there we met Christians, Presbyterians, from a number of indigenous tribes who are Christians. You may not know that in Taiwan there are 16 indigenous tribes, as we would have tribes here in Canada, 16 indigenous tribes, the majority of whom are Christians. In fact, 90,000 indigenous people in Taiwan are Presbyterians. That makes up 40% of the denomination of the Presbyterian Church in Taiwan. If you want a comparison, that 90,000 is more than the membership of the Presbyterian Church in Canada combined. So they're not small and they're insignificant. So anyways, on the first day of our trip, we were in the southern part of the island, and we were talking to Pastor Tien. Pastor Tien is both a Presbyterian minister and a village chief. And he was talking about indigenous culture and having an interesting conversation about this and church culture. And he mentioned that indigenous culture, the hundred pacer snake, is a protector and friend. And my wife was horrified. Having grown up in Taiwan, she knew about the 100 pacer snake. The 100 pacer snake is given its name because when it bites you, you have 100 steps and then you are dead. So how could this be a protector and friend? 
Well, Pastor Tan went on to explain that the hundred pacer snake, so just like the dog on the farm goes crazy when a storm is coming and lets people know a big storm is on its way, the same way the hundred pacer snake acts in a different way, he didn't describe what that was, to warn the village that a typhoon is coming. So it protects. And it is a friend because if you don't mess with it, it won't mess with you. So you can learn to live with it as a neighbor. Well, Debbie wasn't fully convinced by this, but anyways, we got in a van and we started out to meet other people. The first place we stopped was the Christian artist Erga's studio. And he works in metal, wood, and pottery. And particularly his woodwork and his pottery work have symbols, pictures of snakes, along with the diamond shape, the typical diamond shape that's particularly noticeable on the 100 pacer snake. And this work shows up everywhere. Those kinds of images show up everywhere in his work. Well, I'm not an art historian, but I know enough about Western art to know that in the Western art world, the snake usually is a symbol of evil. So what's this Christian artist doing using snakes in his work? So through Paul McLean, our translator, guide, Um, who was with us, I asked. And without a pause, without a stop, Erga said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. Wow. Blew my mind. But you have to understand that when I was given this text, the big shiny thing, the thing that drew my attention, was the end of the text. That very point where Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So we're going to start by going backwards and reminding ourselves of the story that Jesus is talking about when he talks about Moses lifting up the serpent. People of Israel had complained. They'd come out of the promised land and things were going well, but they got tired of the food they were eating. They got tired of how long it was taking them to get to the promised land. And so they complain. And they complain And God sends snakes who come among the people and bite some of them, and they die. The people cry out to God and say, what's the solution? What help is there? And Moses is told to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole in the middle of the camp. And anyone who looks at it will be healed if they've been bitten by a snake. Let's just dig a little deeper for a moment in that text, in that story. If you've been bitten... You have to decide to look at the snake. You actually don't do anything to make yourself whole or heal yourself. That's already in place in that bronze serpent and God's action. But you have to make a choice to look. We live in a snake-bitten world. See, I think that Nicodemus' question, how are we born again, he says, I can't go back to my mother's womb, is in fact the wrong question. I think the right question is, how are we born again now that we're dead? How are we born again now that we've been bitten by a snake? We live in a snake-bitten world. So what I mean by that? Some of us feel loaded with guilt over things we have done in the past. And even though other people have done the good Canadian thing and said it's no big deal, doesn't really matter, we know it matters. 
and we feel guilt and shame. And that guilt and that shame and that remorse has stolen our joy and hangs like a shadow over us. And Jesus says, look to me and find life. Look to me and know that you are forgiven. Look to me and give me that load and I will take it. Some of us have been broken by what others have done to us. The ways we have been treated, spoken about, the abuse we have experienced. And all of those are hurts that are buried deep inside of us. And they steal our joy, our sense of self-worth, our sense that we have value. And those words, those hurts, those experiences shadow us. We feel like we are not alive. And Jesus says, look to me and find life. Look to me and know that you are loved by the one who gave their life for you. So that you might have abundant life. Some of us are filled with anxiety and fear. Afraid of what others think. Afraid that our every move will be seen as a mistake. Afraid of failure. Afraid. And the stress of that fear binds us, catches us, steals our lives from us. And Jesus says, look to me and find life. Look to me and know that I will take your fear so that you can live. Look to me and know that in me there is the courage that you need to live. Some of us know that our lives are bound up in addictions. Yes, there are the regular suspects of alcohol and drugs and pornography, but there are also the suspects that everyone applauds. Work, success, money. And these addictions have stolen our lives, have become idols that we cannot get free of, and we are snake-bitten. And Jesus says, Look to me and find life. Look to me and find freedom from the power of addiction in your life. Look to me and know that you can be free. While I was working on this sermon, I thought, well, that's four. There's more I could say, but then I remembered I needed to say one more thing. I'm not finished the sermon. Just... I think there's a fifth way we can be snake-bitten. Some of us have lived really good lives. We've served others. We've followed God's way. We are really good people. And we are tired. We are discouraged. In fact, we have worked this hard, done all of this, and now it just feels like a burden. And no one is noticing. We feel that we have no joy. We are snake-bitten because our lives feel empty. And Jesus says, Look to me and find life. Look to me and find joy in your service. Look to me and know that I see and I care and I know, and that is all that matters. Look to me and live. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Into this snake-bitten world, into a world where people are barely living 
or not living at all, comes Jesus Christ offering new life, the opportunity to be born anew, to be born again, to have eternal life. This is God's yes to our world, a yes that is said to everyone everywhere, a yes that offers opportunity to all to find new life, eternal life. The only thing that people need to do is to turn, to turn to life, to turn to Jesus, to follow him, to trust him. And this is where human beings stumble again and again and again. We find these words offensive for two reasons. First, we are offended because it is so simple. We are offended because we don't need to do anything to obtain it. In fact, we're offended that we can't earn it. We wish there was something we had to do, something we had to do to earn this life. And we're upset that it's full of grace. Because grace makes us nervous. When I lived in Mitchell, I was involved with the international plowing match that took place in Huron County. Now, For those of you who don't know, the international plowing match is a huge farm show. And yeah, a little plowing goes on, but far more important than all of that is you get to look through all the displays and climb. I went with my son, so he climbed every tractor he could find because he was six years old. So anyways, it's a great show. Now, the two things you need to know for the story to work is, one, you need to understand that the churches get together, documentally, and do a church tent at which they offer two things absolutely free, coffee and a free seat. Because everything at the full, at the international plowing match costs, including the seats. Because if you're sitting in the seat, someone's going to try to sell you something, or you already bought it because you're there to get a meal or whatever. So there are no free seats, and there's no free coffee. So that's what the church tent does, among other things. Well, this particular plowing match, I'd been there days one and two, and everything had gone great. We'd had a wonderful time. I missed day three, and I was back there on day four. And in the church tent on day four, when I arrived, there was a little pot beside the coffee maker that had money in it. And I lost my mind. (laughs) It was explained to me. There was a couple here yesterday who were so appreciative of the free, now, coffee and the free seats that they made a donation. And we decided that that was okay. Isn't that so typical? We can't accept grace. We can't accept a gift. We have to buy it, earn it, deserve it. And Jesus says no. No. It's free. It's free. This grace is free. We don't know what to do with those unearned aspects of a gift offered, of love offered in Jesus Christ, offered to us freely, full of grace. We so want to earn it, so want to deserve it, but we can't. Because we can't earn it, and we certainly do not deserve it. It is a gift. All And we rebel. There must be something I can do to preserve, to deserve this gift. And no, there is nothing. We did nothing to earn it, to deserve it, to merit it. 
We simply receive it. And this, I think, is where being born again is really helpful. Because I don't know about you, but I did nothing to make my conception happen. Did any of you make your own conceptions happen? I don't think so. It's a gift. We did nothing to earn or deserve it. It is a gift. We are born anew, not by us, but by the grace of God alone in Jesus Christ. And that's what makes the second offense so striking. See, we have to choose to look. We have to accept the gift. And we have to look to Jesus. See, shockingly, he and he alone is the answer to finding this new life. It's through his being lifted up, and only through his being lifted up, that new life comes for us. There is no other antidote to being snake-bitten. There is no other cure. Jesus is it. And I realize how offensive in our culture that last paragraph is. To say it's only Jesus is an offense. But while it is only Jesus, we all don't get to the moment of looking to him in the same way. For some of us, that journey to that moment where we look to him and say, yes, you are the answer, came at the end of a very long struggle. For others of us, it felt like the most natural thing in the world, and we may not even remember when that moment was that we turned, but we know we turned. And for others of us, it was like going up this hairpin winding highway, and suddenly we came around a corner as a complete surprise. There he was, and it was the answer that we didn't even know we were looking for. No, we all get there in different ways. All get to that moment of looking in different ways. But he and he alone is the answer to the fact that we are snake-bitten. To trust in him, to find in him that we have no life apart from him, that we have no life No way without him giving us eternal life. There's one more thing we need to say. Because Jesus uses the word believe. And what does he mean by that? He's not talking about assent or agreement with a particular set of statements, factual statements. No, he's talking about something more deep than that. My son to get into this debate about hockey teams, my son is a rabid Leafs fan. Yeah. (laughs) He lives, and even when in high school in Winnipeg, he was a Leafs fan. For Nathan to put on a Jets jersey would so violate his internal DNA that he would not know what to do with himself. See, this believe thing is about loyalty shift. It's about choosing to be loyal to this one who has given his life for us. When Jesus says believe, he's saying, put on my jersey. Follow me. Be loyal to me. I am the way. I am the antidote. I am the answer to your snake-bitten life. 
One of my favorite invitations to communion, and I know we're going to have communion a little later in the service, one of the favorite invitations to communion is this. This meal is for those who love Jesus and want to love him more. Making a loyalty choice, a statement of who it is that we love. Because to love Jesus is to be shaped by him, by his way, his pattern of life, by his life. To look to Jesus and to find in him his, the answers to say that we want to be with him. We want to be like him. I know you're working your way through John here at Courtright. And so it happens that at Westwood we're also working our way through John. And a phrase has become very important for us as we realize this phrase appears a number of times in John. Is that John's picture of discipleship is this. That we would be with Jesus where he is. Being with Jesus where he is. And the promise is that as we look to Jesus who has been lifted up, we can be with him where he is, in his pattern of life, his way of being, his life in the world. To believe, to look to Jesus, to orient our lives towards him. Thanks be to God that God has said yes to the world in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that we can say yes to God's yes. Amen. just want to mention, because it fills up the opening illustration, the reason we went to Taiwan was primarily to, for the, mark, the dedication of this tr- translation of the Bible, into Nujitikai. We had to practice how to say that word, its name. Um, and you will notice this band. The band, so the 100 Pacer Snake is not red, yellow, and green. It's a beige. But that band, that diamond shaping, is the diamond shaping that you find on the 100 Pacer Snake. So every time they hold their Bible, they remember the one who was lifted up.